Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast, the weekly listen for farm selling direct. We'll talk about the four levers for farm success, which are quality, brand, price, and convenience. We'll hear from outside industry experts and producers like you to delight your customers, save time, and to increase your direct farm sales and business. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast. I'm Rory, your host for today's episode. We've got a great conversation for you today with one of our newest farm advisors, David and Candace Hopkins of Hopkins Farms, located in Cairo, Georgia. Welcome, David and Candace. It's great to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Rory. We are glad to be here today. Maybe to start out, could you tell us a little bit about Hopkins Farms and, and what you guys produce today? I know some of the guests we have on the show are just starting their farm. That is certainly not the case for you guys. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the farm? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I'm David Hopkins, like you said, and it's my wife, Candace. We're in southwest Georgia, about as far south Georgia as you can go. Literally, uh, the Florida line is about 10 miles south of where I'm sitting right now. We're about 30 minutes north of Tallahassee in a small little farming community called Reno. Hopkins Farms has been here for forever, but right now what we're producing today, we have bell pepper in the ground, just really a bunch of different kinds of pepper in general. We have bell, cubanel, scotch bonnet, habanero, hunky, just any kind of pepper you can think of. We got pepper, we got tomatoes, eggplant, squash, greens. We always got some greens around, kale, collards, a little bit of cabbage. I've been planting peanuts all day. We got 200 acres of corn that we've been working on fertilizing today. Just anything you can plant that's produce wise, we definitely try it and have been trying it for a long time. That's a lot of products you just listed off there. Who yeah. else working on the farm and, and helping you out with that? Main people is his family. My my father, Carol Hopkins, my brother, Ben, and myself. And then Ben and myself have two wives, Carrie and Candace. And uh, they help us with the books and we do all the, the work outside and all the dirty stuff. We have probably about 30 people on our payroll that they're here all the time. and We try to keep them around. And then when it's time to start picking tomatoes and pepper like that, we actually have traveling workers they start in south florida and then come to georgia and then go to north carolina it just depends on what time of year it is and whose turn it is to start picking stuff wow that's that's awesome so you guys have a really big operation there and you've been doing it for a long time you guys have really deep roots in georgia and and a really long family history on that land could you share some of that history and and about how long you guys have been there yeah the way it's been explained to me our family has the original deed to the farm that we received when Oglethorpe was establishing Georgia and handing out land grant. We have it in a safety deposit box still here, 220 years going, and it's still farmed under the same family. It's grown a little bit since then, but we're still here and still gonna keep going. I think I'm gonna be the fourth, if not fifth generation on this same piece of land, just because you know everybody on that fifth generation, everybody was a farmer. You had to be a farmer just to, to live. You produced everything you had. Yeah, that's awesome. How has it changed? I mean, obviously that's 220 years is, is an insane amount of time, but yeah. what are some of the big changes over that course of time, especially maybe in terms of like products the farm has been producing? When my granddaddy was coming along or when his parents were doing it, they had sugar cane and chickens and they didn't really get in the produce yet, but the sugar cane was for cane syrup. We used to grow a bunch of sugar cane and my granddaddy would cook all the cane down and make the syrup or whatever and he'd sell the juice and he did that and then they 
we're so close to Tallahassee, Florida, and that was a big, you know, populated area compared to Cairo, the small town that's close to us in Georgia. They would take chickens down there, uh, take live chickens, and had a bunch of chicken eggs they'd sell. My granddad kept doing that, and then he had the opportunity to buy a piece of land in Cairo back in town, and him and my grandmother moved up there, and he started growing produce, uh, beans, squash, just greens, any of that kind of stuff. We kind of got in the tobacco business a little bit, and 60s, 70s came along. We started growing more okra, more beans. My dad did a lot of peddling. My granddad did a lot of peddling. They sold a bunch of collards and greens on the Atlanta farmer's market, and we kept getting deeper in the produce business. And Whatever we couldn't grow produce on, we tried to do a little bit of row crop and do cotton, corn, peanuts, stuff like that. We just kept diversifying so much that we just throw everything out there and hope it all sticks at the end. <laughs> you know, you lose money over here, but hopefully you got something over there that's going to make you enough to keep going the next year. That's it's worked out for 200 years so far. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really funny way of looking at it. And has it always been, I know you mentioned farmer's markets there. Has the farm always had selling direct to consumer as a focus? And has that always been something you guys do? Direct to consumer hadn't always been the focus. That kind of started when I came back and started doing the farm to table, but we would always sell to farmers markets. There's the Atlanta farmers market and then Thomasville, Georgia, up the road a little bit. We have a produce broker over there and they handle all our pepper and eggplant stuff like that. My dad handles selling all the tomatoes, but anybody that would come by and want to buy something, more than happy to sell it to them. We don't, don't care who it is yeah definitely not turning down any customers all it's gonna do is go bad in the cooler so yeah. get it out of here. and i know uh you did you went to school over at auburn correct that's right i went to auburn university and what what did you study there i was a horticulture major with an emphasis in fruit and vegetable production so was there always an expectation to take over the farm where you expected to be that next generation and was that something you were excited about? From my dad's perspective, it was always, please find something else to do. But the summertime came around and it was, hey, what are you doing? Get up, let's go to work. I grew up out here. We lived in town, but we always came down here every weekend when I was a little kid in elementary school. Middle school, I got old enough to start working and I, I picked a back all summer long when I was a little kid. And, uh, picked squash, did any kind of field work, I did it. And then I finally got old enough to know how to drive and be responsible enough to drive and started taking care of all the planting. And then we got us a sprayer and I started spraying everything. So I've always done all the row crop and stuff. And then my brother took care of the, the watering of the vegetables. It never rains under plastic. All our tomatoes and eggplant and everything else is grown under plastic. So we can at least control a little bit of aspects of the weather. I mean, we can't control if it's going to rain or what the bugs are doing or anything else but if we grow it under plastic you can at least water it yeah candace i'm curious about you is this something that you just fell into uh was <laughs> there any expectation that you would just join the crew here we got married in 2014 i was working i went to school for x-ray tech so that's what i was doing and then once we had kids i stayed home and then i guess i got more involved once i started to stay home I do the, you know, computer side of everything. But yeah, it just kind of fell in my lap, but I love it. So it's worked out so far. That's awesome. So you mentioned the x-ray tech there. That's what you were doing before the farm. And, and David, did you go straight to the farm right out of college? Oh, yeah, I didn't. There was no stops. I graduated. Boom. What are you doing Monday? <laughs> Going to work. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> straight into it. That's awesome. I know we have another fan who actually went to not the same program at Auburn, but a similar one. But how did that program kind of help better prepare you for running your farm? And what did, what were some of the things that you apply from that program? My time at Auburn was all about uh, problem solving. If I ever had a problem with a clash, I could figure it out and get somebody to help me, stuff like that. I did get a little bit of you know knowledge from it, but you learn everything you're going to learn, putting your hands in the dirt and then you know, I try a little bit on my own. I do a little test plot over here and wouldn't work. You know, it's always good to be able to change it just a little bit or try to experiment on your own. But what you're going to learn at school versus what you learn actually in the field is completely different. It's it's interesting that you say that too, because I feel like more and more now you run into farmers that are just starting that they didn't go to school for it. They're kind of doing it as they as they go and expanding and, and reading books and going to other farms and trying to pick up what they do. So it's interesting that you say that and kind of a cool experience for you that you had family members who got to be that knowledge for you. Very beneficial to have. I guess I got a hundred years worth of experience staring at me, looking at me yeah <laughs> probably has its positives and yeah negatives. positives and negatives there's always, there's always <laughs> well i want to do it this way that's too bad that's cool. <laughs> so i think especially in terms of the business side of things what was that education piece like did that was that something they dove into because i think something that we find a lot of times is that's something farmers are missing is a business education side of learning how to farm business wise it was always you know we pick it pack it sell it and you know i told my dad i was like i want to take a box and put a bunch of different stuff in it and sell it to somebody he said you can do that all you want to that'll be fine we're focused on a whole semi load of bell pepper leaving here not a box of you know a mixed box of stuff so i just kind of got out there on my own and started doing that and the first week i sold one box to one lady after i'd sent 60 something letters in the mail hey i want to start doing this are you interested in my and then mm -hmm. after that, it took off a little bit, went doing a whole lot, kind of kept growing and just uh, anything we could do, we'd still try to sell to anybody right now. What kind of led you to sign up for Barn to Door in the first place? And, and where did that interest come from? Signing up for Barn to Door, we, I don't really know, what was it? It was in 2020 when everything went down, that's when our business just exploded and we were just super, super busy. So what we were doing, just wasn't working for us with how many customers we had. One of our customers actually sent us a link to the barn to door and I just started researching it and anyways, just learn more about it. And it seemed like a perfect fit for us. What were you guys doing before? Just curious. We had a, uh, some cat, I don't remember who the guy's name was. He made websites for a living and he'd done some work for my cousin for one of her websites for our, another family business. And I told him I needed a website and I wanted to start selling stuff online. And he made me one and it worked for a little while. When you had 30 or 40 people, it was fine. Mm -hmm. But um, it, would, it would use PayPal. There was no organization, wouldn't sort it out for you. We had to go through each name by name. So we couldn't organize it all together. And then we found Barn the Door. Mm, a little bit easier when it's all. <laughs> this location is getting this. So then how was that transition? Because I'm sure that was a big transition for you guys, just migrating systems and things. How did that go? We did like the onboarding and it was like, as soon as that, just everything was worked out. I don't think we had like any problems. It just, it was so easy. And that was good because we were going through a super busy time. We did that in the middle of being so busy. Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious, how did that go for your customers too? How did they 
deal with that that change or that switch i don't think anybody had any trouble except the older generation that didn't really do it online you know mm-hmm. the older people they'd always call me like hey david i want this and i'm like okay i'll write it down you know <laughs> please send me an email so i can remember this I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah it's not the only thing that i do all day long we didn't lose too many people we got them used to starting to order online and then now i don't think i have anybody calling me except maybe one or two more older people that still claim that they don't have a computer or internet or anything but they still hear about us and know what's in the box every week you know i think something you said something earlier about when you originally went to your father and said i want to i want to put together a box and sell that directly yep. to some people and he was like, yeah, go for it. But this is still going to be the priority. I think a lot of times with a farm that's a generational farm, sometimes the selling direct to consumer can be a pretty big step and, and a new yes. thing for a lot of farms. What would maybe be your advice to somebody that is a, a more generational farm like yours or that's been around a while and has been doing things a certain way? But like, obviously, you guys have made a really good transition to selling direct. What would be your advice to them? My advice is you need to go ahead and do it. I mean, everything's going this way. And the more people we can get involved doing this, the better it can turn out for everybody. I feel like mm-hmm. they'll get used to, you know, buying directly from your grower, knowing who you're buying your food from. I think that's a pretty big deal. The stuff that we're packing and selling doesn't come off our farm all day, every day. The times that it does, I know I've seen this pepper plant from a seed all the way through the greenhouse setting it out in the field i laid the plastic my brother's been watering it taking care of it, fertilizing it we watched it get picked watched it get taken care of we know where it's coming from and we truly care about it because it's our livelihood we have to have this to keep going mm-hmm. but the people that they hadn't started doing direct to consumer yet if you have the opportunity to do it it doesn't take but one time to just get one person involved and then Hopefully they have a good experience and they'll tell somebody and then they'll tell somebody and then sooner or later you'll have you a full-blown direct-to-consumer business. You don't have to worry about the guy that's selling all your other stuff for you. You're selling it yourself and not handing him money just to talk on the phone. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that's really key there is I feel like the, the quality speaks for itself. When people try products that are grown that aren't shipped across the world to get to their That's grocery right. store or something like that you can really tell the difference and and that makes a big difference for folks when you're getting something from us two days at the most from it coming out of a field and being packed on mm-hmm. my doorstep or whatever if it's coming straight off of my farm right now i'll pick it the day before we put it in a box to sell it to you if it's coming from florida you got a day to get up here or whatever if it's coming from north carolina you might have a day day and a half mm-hmm. but it's you know as quick as it can get from the farm to your table is what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's the goal. Well, you guys have also done a really good job of keeping a a super simple product inventory on your online store. You guys utilize uh, the box like we've talked about here, doing a a farmer's choice type of bundle and some subscriptions. And that's how you sell all your produce. So how has that simplified things for you, especially Candice, for you on on the store management side of things? How has that kept things simple for you? I feel like for a little bit, we thought, should we give the customer the option of what they want? But we just can't, we can't make that happen. And so we do let our customers know that if like there's one or two items or, you know, that they just don't like, we can substitute that out and they can leave a note in the box when they check out. But other than that, we just, we try to keep it simple because that's just, that would be too much on, on everybody. Yeah. And it sounds like with how much you guys are growing the, the box, if you were doing choice, people would have so many choices. They'd have so many options and it'd be just. 
more or less it'd be hard to find your box in the truck once yeah. you pack it all and set it in there like oh man it could be in Tallahassee I'm supposed to be in Thomasville that would definitely create some problems I know you just mentioned that you thought about doing some like a la carte or like individual ordering have you guys always pretty much just done the boxes and and been able to stick to that pretty much when I started doing it the first time I think I'm pretty sure the first box I offered was a $50 box that was a full one and a ninth bushel that we pack eggplant in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was targeting like bigger families that had three or four plus kids. I was like, this is good for six people. I got a couple people to do that. And then they're like, do you have a smaller box? So I now started doing a half bushel box and that was for three or four people. And then I started packing boxes for another man in Albany and he showed up with a bag one day and I said, what are you doing that? He said, well, I'm going to sell this to the people that just have one or two people. We're going to do a, a bag option or whatever. And I said, that's a fantastic idea. So <laughs> now we do uh, bags and I think our bags are our uh, biggest seller. The real thing is the, not everybody cooks as much as they used to. We're bad about that too. We don't get to cook every night. We're too busy. Everybody's too busy. Mm -hmm. So the bag's a good option. If you're going to cook one or two meals a week, you know, it's perfect for you. You got enough produce to do that. We started doing that and it's, it's been good. Do you guys ever run into any problems with, like we keep saying, you guys grow so much. Do you guys ever run into issues of people saying like, I don't know how to use any of this. And if you have run into that, how do you get around it? I tell them our secret family recipes to every single item that they say they don't have any idea. How to <laughs> and nine times out of 10, it's a green, like a mustards, turnips, collards, kale. The Hopkins family is bad about having a family get together and having a pot of greens. There's not a time that we have a sit down family dinner and somebody didn't cook a pot of collards or something for our dinner. And everybody's like, what do we do with these? You know, we're not from around here. We're from up North or something. I was like, well, let me tell you how to cook some collards. <laughs> I'll sit there and talk to them for a little while and just share with them how we enjoy them. And I tell them what Candace does at the house with kale or something or any kind of vegetable. My, my mother, she helps us on the, you know, farm to table thing. She does some delivering and I'm sure she's shared all of her family recipes too. So we, we just always try to share, you know, we cook it ourselves. So we try to give them a good idea how to use it themselves. Yeah. That, I think that's really key. Cause I know a lot of farmers will, will include recipes like that in, in newsletters or on their social media. You guys are the best at knowing how to cook what you produce. Cause it's what you're eating every day too. And I think that's the same for protein farmers, that's right. the, the ribeyes and the pork shoulders, that stuff gets sold. At what point did you guys, you started with the box and now you offer the box as a subscription so people can get that kind of every single week if they want. What, at what time did you guys decide to start doing subscriptions and what has the result of that been? Subscriptions weren't even an option before yeah, we did Barn to Door. I, so. I think we started doing Barn to Door and subscriptions were an option. We had people that wanted them every week and said, hey, just, yeah. I'm going to get one every week. Just make sure you remember to put me on the list. Mm -hmm. And that happened nine times out of 10, but every now and then be like, oh man, forgot to do that one. Yeah. So we always make a couple extra boxes just in case. Mm -hmm. But uh, the subscription things, it's worked out good. Keep people coming back and we really enjoy their support. And that's good stuff too. Is And on the management side too, Candice, simplifies that process as well for you? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if we have a, we don't have a huge amount of subscription people, but, but it does make it easier for those that want to get every week. Yeah, that's awesome. So then you guys also, with the launch of a lot of your direct to consumer stuff, you started delivery as well. How did that kind of start up and what was getting started with delivery like? 
I'm going to say delivery started with people forgetting to pick up their boxes. So it was like, hey, I got your box for you. We won't and, let you down. <laughs> and when we first started doing it, we weren't collecting the money up front. You know, I was depending on you to give me your money when I give you your box. Mm-hmm. And people would, you know, sometimes forget, which is understandable. People are busy. They work, do everything. So I was like, hey, where you at? I'll bring it to you. And then finally it was like, hey, we're going to start offering delivery for this price on top of your box. You don't have to worry about coming to me. I'm going to bring it straight to you. And then we started doing that. And I think delivery, we do about half and half. It's been good too. You know, we have to drive all over Tarnation sometimes, but we got our zone and narrowed it down. And uh, people understand where we're going to go to and where we can't go to. So we we try to accommodate everybody regardless. If it's, you know, a little too far, we'll still try to do it. I'm curious on the growth of that. Did you guys do a lot of zones at first and then kind of rein it back in? Or, or what was that experience like? We did. We had it just basically, I guess we just said anywhere. And then once we got a lot of customers, we were like, we can't really do that. It was a lot. So we had to narrow it down. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a lot of time. Do you guys, have you guys charged a, a delivery fee to compensate yourselves for that time? Or do you build that into yeah. the cost of products or how do you go about that? We started doing delivery. I think it was like $5 a box or something. And then during COVID, which was a crazy time, but a blessing for us, it got like, we were having to do like, I don't even know how many deliveries. It was ridiculous. So we were like, Hey, it's $10 to deliver now. If you want it still, we'll bring it to you. But we went to ten dollars and with the way fuel is right now, it's gotta stay at ten dollars. We can't be driving everywhere for nothing. That gas costs a little something putting that car. Yeah, definitely. And your time costs a little something too. Yeah, Kansas time is very valuable. I was curious too. I I know sometimes farmers up their delivery charge, which is completely reasonable. All the costs associated with doing delivery, none of those are going down. But I think sometimes the consumers don't react in a great way. How did they kind of respond to you guys raising that delivery fee? So we had some, some people that were happy about it. We had some negative reviews for some people that were just all the way too far away that, you know, they got too big and they don't care about the little people anymore. We're like, well, we care about you. We just can't drive 45 minutes to bring you a $10 box when, you know, when it's costing us $10 worth of fuel. You can't make everybody happy. You do your best. And we love all our customers and want to do anything we can to make them happy. We just, we realize that we cannot make everybody happy. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely a good mentality to have. And similar to what we were talking about with all the options that you can put in a box. I would love to make it like a grocery store where you can get exactly what you wanted every time. But the logistics and piecing together of boxes and this and that, it would just, you know, maybe in the future one day I'll have enough help and enough sense to be able to do that. But right now I just can't, can't figure it out. So I'm curious, what would your advice be? I think a lot of farms right now are, are realizing the potential that doing home delivery has and, and how much that can kind of add to their, their revenue. I'm curious, what would be your advice to a farm that's thinking about starting up delivery? I'd, I'd do it. I mean, it depends on what kind of area you're in too. When you think about South Georgia, we're pretty much rural areas. I mean, we got a lot of back roads, a lot of small towns. Thomasville is a decent sized town. Cairo's not that big. Tallahassee's huge, of course. I've always looked at it as that's one more box I could sell versus somebody coming to me. So why not go do it? It's, if it doesn't take you a whole nother hour to go do that, you know, your money ahead doing that. And then you might even sell another, you know, piece of a box that you were breaking down to uh, do that delivery instead of just, you know, having to donate that or dump mm-hmm. it in the 
the pile of uh, mulch or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, you just mentioned Tallahassee there. Cause I, I know a lot of farms, they, there are in rural areas, but if there's a good big metropolitan area nearby like that, that they can tap into that market. Have, is that kind of what you guys have done with Tallahassee and, and how has that gone for you? You know, I don't have any idea how I got started in Tallahassee because I started in Thomasville. I guess it was all word of mouth. Somebody was like, hey, do you come to Tallahassee? I was like, sure do. Where do you want to be at? My sister works for a, a business that has a location in Tallahassee. I was like, hey, I want to use parking lot, you know, one day a week. I'll be out of the way out back. Don't worry about me. He was like, yeah, sure. Come on. So we started doing it in Tallahassee and Tallahassee has been good for us too. Is that where you see the most growth out of all the areas that you're you're serving with delivery and, and everything? It fluctuates up and down. Some weeks we'll have the most boxes in our small town of Cairo. Some weeks mm-hmm. we'll be in Tallahassee and sometimes in Thomasville. It just depends, you know, with the school systems, are people in school or they out of school. Mm-hmm. Right now, towards the beginning of the year, when we get started back after Christmas and the new year, we take a month off or really a month and a half off. We take that off and then there's a big influx and it comes up and then kids get out of school and everybody starts traveling. So it's going to go down. Summer gardens come in. People still have a garden around here. So you kind of lose a little bit right there. Mm -hmm. When they come back into school in the fall, it picks up a little bit and kind of climbs all the way to November to Thanksgiving. So it just, you know, it depends on week to week who's in town, which school's on spring break and summer Mm -hmm. vacations and stuff like that. I wanted to talk a little bit about your guys' social media because you guys have a pretty strong following on, on Facebook and Instagram. What's your approach there? How are you guys managing social media? I do. I guess I do most of the social media. Or all of it. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like a lot of our following comes from like we try to or I try to post like more personal stuff like of our families and like what David's doing during the day or what Ben's doing. And I feel like that really grabs people's attention. And so I try to do more posts like that. And Instagram isn't as big as Facebook. I don't think I need to get on Instagram more, but it's a pretty big one. So. We got a lot of stuff going on around here all the time. There's always something to find to see what we're doing around here. We always got something. Yeah, no, I think that's really true of, of a lot of farms is that it, there, there's always things going on. It's just a matter of grabbing your phone and snapping a picture That's of it. That's right. Just take a picture and figure out what you want to say in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but Candace, to what you were saying too, I think that authenticity of what's going on with your family, that kind of really actually getting to see the farmer and, and what they're doing is so important because it's almost, I think in today's day, it's almost as important as what David, what you were saying with being able to grow the things and that you have so much, you contribute to the entire process of your customers getting that pepper. It's almost like the customer kind of gets to see that through social media. I'm curious with you guys, uh, with your email marketing as well, have you guys utilized the MailChimp integration much? And do you use email marketing to stay in contact with those customers and keep them up to date on everything? Yes, we send out an email every Sunday night through MailChimp, like our weekly newsletter, we call it. And it basically has in there it will show you our different options and then we'll put in there what we're going to offer that week in the box. It's got a link to go to our store so they can buy something right there. You know, make it easy, make it simple. Mm-hmm. Just click on it. You can purchase right here. We don't want to you know, have too many steps. You don't have to go anywhere else. Just click and ready to get it. Well, uh, you guys are, are the newest additions to our, our farm advisor network. What are you guys excited for about, about joining the team? We want to soak up some information from other people too and kind of learn what's been, what they've done to make their 
farm to door, their farm to table program successful. We're always in for new ideas. We're in South Georgia, so we can pretty much grow anything. We're always looking for more stuff to put in the ground. We we got probably 40 different crops right now, cows and everything else. So I'm, I'm, I'd like to find a barn to door company or a barn to door farm that's doing beef. You know, I want to start selling some beef and I want to maybe one day get maybe some poultry, maybe some chickens or something and start selling chickens too. Just whatever, mm-hmm. whatever we can find to keep going. We want to, we want to keep going and keep growing. I know you guys partner with some other farms to kind of offer produce pretty much year round, I believe. Could you maybe talk about how you've gone about establishing those partnerships with other farms? Well, when I started it, started the farm to table, as I called it, or CSA, I learned about it in Auburn, Alabama, when I went to school over there. So we're, you know, going through, I can scrap up some and, you know, put in a box, sell it. And then people said, well, you know, why'd you stop? I want to keep going. Why, why'd you quit? And I was like, well, guess what? The way the world turns, uh, it got too hot and that pepper burned up. And that was, don't get too cold next and that pepper's gonna freeze so but where we're at we can offer two crops a year and we'll start picking pepper and tomatoes and stuff and probably about another three weeks and we'll be able to pick for maybe a month maybe five six weeks at the most depending on the weather we're always uh, at mercy to the weather the way it works on the east coast produce starts in south florida at the beginning of the year when florida comes in they start picking about the time they wrap up, maybe one or two weeks left in picking, it'll our stuff will start coming on. It'll be ready for us. And then we pick our whole turn. And then when we're about to start wrapping up, hopefully it all works out. We'll be just about finished and North Carolina come in. So they'll never have a break in the produce. You know, we kind of share the market. We have a relationship with people up and down the East Coast. My dad's been fortunate enough to do it for his whole life. He knows just a pile of people. He can go anywhere riding around. He enjoys his Sunday afternoon drives. <laughs> but we know people in South Florida that we can buy tomatoes from because the guy that's come to pick our tomatoes, he's working on a farm down there right now picking tomatoes and he'll be up here in, like I said, two, three weeks. So if I need tomatoes, I can say, hey, I need a pallet of tomatoes for this week and he'll send me a pallet so I can have fresh tomatoes from him. And then when he, he leaves us, he goes to North Carolina. So I know where he's going up there and he's actually started farming on his own. So he has a little bit of pepper and tomatoes up there in North Carolina too. So it's, it just, it moves and it's, it's been easier and we can offer this thing year round. We, mm-hmm. we don't have to shut down. We have to quit during the winter right there when it freezes out us and it freezes out North Carolina, everything goes to the Yucatan Peninsula or to Mexico. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I like how you kind of have used that and used those partnerships and those relationships to extend your own growing season, which is really cool. I guess looking ahead to the next year, what do you guys see as, as what's next for Hopkins Farms? I know you guys just moved into the house there, but what else is kind of on the horizon for you guys? Well, we have a, another child coming in August, so we're kind of waiting on that right now. <laughs> we, uh, we make it through uh, this spring crop and start laying plastic for the fall crop. Hopefully everything will work out and have good markets and everything keep going. We're looking forward to another year of being able to do this. I, I'll come home some nights and just be mad as fire. This day just went way different than I had planned this morning. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that I'm doing this. I'm glad I got my wife with me that she supports me and lets me complain to her every now and then. <laughs> Got two little boys that maybe one day they'll want to do it, but hopefully they got better sense than I have. <laughs> That's probably exactly what your dad said. That's exactly <laughs> what he said. 
Candace, how about you? What are some of your goals for the year ahead? Other than having your baby. Yeah, that's a pretty big one, but pretty much what David said, just hopefully we could grow our farm to table business a little more, get it back to, obviously it won't be back to where it was, but. Mm -hmm. We'd like to you know, find some more markets to get in. We actually do a, a frozen vegetable sale now too. And we're trying to find some more places to go with that and just keep growing and keep expanding our name and finding people that would like to enjoy some fresh produce. Yeah. Awesome. I want to extend my thanks to Candace and David for joining us on this week's podcast episode. Here at Barn to Door, we're humbled to support thousands of farms across the country, including farmers like the Hopkins who implement sustainable agricultural practices and support their local communities. For more information on Hopkins Farms, you can visit hopkinsfarmsinc.com. To learn more about Barn to Door, including access to numerous free resources and best practices for your farm, you can go to barntodoor.com slash resources. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Direct Farm Podcast. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to automatically download new episodes. For more free resources that you can read, watch, and listen to, visit farmtodoor.com slash resources. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.